right. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Darren, thank you for uh, facilitating that. Darren is part of our 316 ministry team. Uh, David, you're a great visionary. Love the vision uh, that you have for Zambia and for the kingdom. Lori, as you could tell, Lori, I know you don't like being on a stage. You don't like having the microphone, but Lori is on the ground living out everything she believes. She is a nurturer of that place. I was in Zambia about five and a half years ago, and as sweet as Lori seems, she tried to convince me that there were mambas that lived in this tree that I had to walk past to go teach every day, all right? Uh, and I love my time in Zambia, other than those spiders that would just hover on the walls of where I was sleeping, and they would talk to me, I'm pretty sure, all right? I mean, these were ferocious spiders, but they would eat mosquitoes that were carrying stuff, so they're, they're fine. But when I was in Zambia, I was just blown away by Zambian people, their love for God, their love for life, the smiles on their faces. This is a wonderful effort, uh, so I'm glad to highlight that today. Uh, this past week, Casey and I were able to get away. We do this once a year without uh, the boys. We... Uh, throw the boys at my parents for a few days. I mean, really, we like toss them like, hey, you go and hang out with with mom and my mom and dad for a few days, which means we have some deprogramming to do when they get back later on today. We'll wake up tomorrow morning for school and I'll say, what do you want for breakfast? You want some toast or I can make you some cereal, pour you some cereal. And they will say, what what about Cheetos and ice cream? And I'll be like, yeah, Uh, we don't do that. But I know Grammy may do those things. We don't do those things anymore. All right. Um, but Casey and I got away, and anytime we get away, we uh, take time to reflect. What are we grateful for? How was the last year? Uh, because we know that I can have a great year of ministry, and we can love our jobs and what we're doing, but if our marriage isn't being cultivated and growing, then, then something isn't right. So we focus on each other. We reflect. What are we grateful for? And so much of that had to do with how we were reflecting on life with this church and how grateful we are for this church, and not just that I get to call this a job, what I get to do, but we love raising our children under the mission and vision of this church, a mission of helping people see Jesus, a vision that, it, that we call a restoration movement. It's not a preservation movement. We're not called just to preserve the church. It's to restore the things in the world that are broken. And we love that our children are being raised, understanding what this means. So a couple of weeks ago, Casey and I and Truett and Noah were in this environment, and it just happened that where we were, we were, we were in an all-white environment. There's nothing wrong with this. Sometimes I'm in an all-white environment. Sometimes I'm in an all-black environment. There, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But we were in an environment where everyone around us was white. And, and, and I point that out because my boys noticed. And Noah, who was seven, looked up and he said, did you notice there aren't any black people around here? And I said, yeah, I did. And Noah said, I like it when white and black people are together, like at church. And there's this moment where I pat his shoulder, and and inside I'm like, me too, man, me too. But inside I'm like, I think God just stood stood up from his throne and rolled up his sleeves and like applauded, you know. That this is kingdom life, and we want our boys to grow up, and we're not perfect parents. We mess up every day. Every day we're like, man, I, I think we know what we're doing, but I don't know if we know what we're doing. But we want them to have a vision of what the end of times is going to be like. The vision that is painted in Revelation, where in Revelation, the images it gives you of heaven is that all people don't become people who look all alike, but in heaven there are nations and tribes and languages, but there's no arrogance, there's no elitism, there's no racism that exists anymore. You have all these different people, but they've come together as part of this this one community, and that is the future that God is breaking into the present, and it's what we are living into. 
And we want our boys to live into that. So we're in a series right now, this is part two, in a series I'm calling Global God. Uh, Because I think it's really important for you to believe that God is local. God enters into wherever you are. God is present in your space. God wants you to be fully present in your space. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came and Jesus was local. He walked. But Jesus isn't just local. God isn't only local. God is global. And the most quoted verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, isn't for God loved you. It is for God loved the entire world. Uh, so last week, uh, I even made this statement. Look, I want us to believe. I want Christians in America, especially in an election year, to believe that God loves America, but God doesn't only love America. That, that God doesn't just want to save people in America. God wants to save souls and redeem souls, restore souls all over the world. So, so join me in on a, on a journey this morning. I want you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Isaiah. I want to begin in Isaiah 42, and then I want to unpack uh, another place in Isaiah. I think Isaiah is so important for us. This is in the New Testament. There's no Old Testament book that is quoted more in the New Testament than the book of Isaiah. It's 66 chapters. You may not have read Isaiah in years, maybe not ever before, but I think it's so helpful for us because Isaiah focuses a lot on darkness and light. And especially in the 316 offering that we're leading up to, and the election that's coming up in a few weeks, I think Isaiah has a really important message to, to speak into our hearts today about what it means to be God's people when sometimes we feel like we are surrounded by evil. Listen to chapter 42. I just want to read verse, the first nine verses of chapter 42, and I just want you to receive this as good news. It's a prophecy uh, that uh, it may have had like a double meaning that there was a prophet who was called to, to live out these things, but it's also pointing to Jesus. In chapter 42, verse 1, here is my servant, uh, whom I behold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Let me point out again, the word nation shows up in scripture, but the word nations shows up four times more than the word nation. So when God is talking about nations and nation throughout the world, uh, the plural form of nation shows up four times more than just nation. I think that's important for us. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all the springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand, and I I love this. I want you to mark this in your Bible, underline it, put a star by it. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce unto you. And so the reading of the word, the church said, amen. Isaiah has an important message uh, for us today, but before I uh, dance around a little more in Isaiah, uh, in Romans chapter 10, Paul quotes a place in Isaiah. And it's in Romans 10, and in Romans 10, what it says is, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, 
All right, so Paul's real big on this, helping people understand that what God is doing, what the resurrection does, is bringing people together, Jews and Gentiles, rich and uh, poor, slave and free, bringing them together into the same community. So there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and here's the verse that shows up in Isaiah. Right there he's quoting. As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, if you were to even Google beautiful feet today, you know what would show up? Like baby feet. Or if you Google beautiful feet, uh, feet that have just experienced like a manicure uh, or a pedicure, whichever, I don't know, the hands and feet. Casey the other day was like, I think you need to go get one of those. And I was like, I don't think I do. And she's like, but your feet are messing up my sheets, all right? And I was like, well, I wear socks because I'm not going to go do one of those things, okay? I was sitting in an agape meeting recently, recently, a board meeting, and I was sitting next to Pastor Stacy Spencer from the New Directions Church to become a good friend of mine. I was wearing flip-flops, and he looked at my feet, and he's like, dude, your feet need Jesus, man. Those things are, <laughs> those things are messed up, man. Uh, the image of beautiful feet in Isaiah 52, or that Paul is quoting in Romans 10, these aren't the kind of feet from a newborn that you love to touch. And I'm not going to ask for a, a show of hands, but I bet some of you, like, you have a real problem with feet. Like, baby feet are cool, you know, but then you get to a point where, like, dude's feet, my boy's feet now, like, they take their shoes off, and I think God is just laughing at you thought those were cute back then when they were young, but now there's this, ah, it's just this stench. And, and some of you don't like feet touching you or being close to you. And then you have places like in Isaiah 52 and Romans 10 of how beautiful are the feet. Beautiful feet are not stationary feet. Beautiful feet are feet that move, feet that go. So Paul is referencing Isaiah 52. Go back to Isaiah 52, and I want to walk you through 12 verses, and then I want to call us to live into it this week. In Isaiah chapter 52, the first two verses go like this. Awake, awake, put on strength. O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall enter you no more. So shake yourself from the dust and rise up, O captive Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter Zion. And I want you just to focus on those. If you're taking notes, take notes, underline it, look deeply into what is happening here. Because Isaiah is writing to these people that for decades, not just in one year, but in decades, they have, they're suffering bondage, captivity, they're, they're away from home. So in many ways, they are surrounded by darkness. They're way away from home where they're questioning, you know, things around me seem so, so hopeless. And the message in Isaiah 52 to, to, this, to these people who are surrounded by darkness and evil is, wake up. Like, arise and get dressed. Put on your garments. It's, it's like that person who may like shake you out of bed. Maybe this had to happen to you when you were a, a teenager or something. You wouldn't get out of bed and somebody comes in and they like shake you like get up, get out of bed. I'm not someone who's ever struggled with uh, depression. Depression I've suffered with in my life has been circumstantial depression. It's not, I've never been clinically depressed, but I walk closely with people who have been. I'm related to some people who have been. 
And I know that for many people who suffer from depression, what a counselor will speak to them or a therapist is that when you wake up in the morning and you don't want to get out of bed, sometimes the best thing you can do is put pants on and put a shirt on and put some shoes on. Because there's something about getting dressed that is preparing you to, to live in a day. And here's God speaking to his people say, all right, it's time for you to wake up. Wake up, get dressed, stand up, because there's something to be a part of. It's time for you to move. Don't just lay there. And as God's telling his people to step up, get dressed, get up, all right, let's start moving. It, it's like the, the message God is giving them is because there's no more threat. Like, I am coming to lead you to a better place, and what can threaten you is I'll lead you to this better place. Um, so I think this is really important for us, especially in 2016, in a presidential election year. This is my, uh, in my preaching career, my preaching life. This is the fourth election year I've been able to preach through, and it's always a challenge. Uh, because allegiances begin to be given to things that keep people from living deeper into the mission of God, sometimes without them even knowing. There are things that really concern me. Uh, in October of 2016, I'm so hopeful for the church. I am hopeful for the kingdom because I can give you examples recently, and some of you can give these examples too, uh, of lost people who are giving their lives over to Jesus and they're being baptized into Christ, and I'm seeing restoration breaking out in marriages and in families and in individuals and people who are, uh, who the power of God's allowing them to, to break addictions and to, to live in this, this free life, and I'm seeing the movement of God. And as hopeful I am for the church as I am for the church and for the kingdom, there are days where when I get caught up in social media or in news sources, I find myself drifting into a place where it's hopeless, and I find myself, not daily, but throughout the week, really fighting with cynicism right now, and just being cynical, and being taken down by just the whole process. And what I'm concerned about for people and for the church is when sometimes we allow a political conviction to then what, what drives us to Scripture is the need to find verses that can support our political conviction instead of allowing all of our convictions to come under the sovereignty of Jesus. Because here's one of my concerns is that uh, it's not just that you have political convictions and that you deeply care because it's okay for you to care about what's happening over the next few weeks. It's okay for you to care about what's happening in our nation but how you behave is so important. Because over the next few weeks, there are things you will be tempted to post, and there are times you're going to get sucked into the comment section on Facebook or on news sites. And when I find myself getting sucked into the comment section, I feel like I am getting caught up in this world of, I guess, what I would just call spiritual and emotional porn is what it feels like. It's addictive. It's manipulative. It's not good for the health of the heart. And what happens is, we can behave in a certain way where months down the road you'll have Christians who behave a certain way in an election year and then they point their fingers at millennials at, while they're leaving the church, not realizing that many millennials, millennials are leaving the church because of the way Christians behave. Um, and I'm not asking you to minimize how important the next few weeks are. I just don't want an election year to allow you to minimize how big the mission of God is throughout the world. If you're in agreement, can I just get an amen from somebody in the house, right? All right, thank you. 
Look, look at verse 3 and verse 5. God's calling his people to wake up, get dressed. Which, by the way, you think in the New Testament, when it talks about getting dressed, there's the armor of God, there's the fruit of the Spirit. For those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, it's not optional how we get dressed every day. The, the Word of God, Jesus tells you how to get dressed every day. It's the armor of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what you get dressed in to live out this life. Verse 3, For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You will be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord, God, long ago my people went down into Egypt to reside there as aliens. The Assyrian too has oppressed them without cause. And now, now therefore, what am I doing here, says the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away without cause? I love that in verse 5. It's like God is, he has taken notice of what is happening to his people. So, so now therefore, what am I doing here? Seeing that my people are taken away without cause. Their rulers house, says the Lord. And continually, all day long, my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. I am here. Uh, now remember, Isaiah, this is Isaiah chapter 52. Even if you've never read Isaiah, go home later today and read Isaiah chapter 6 because that is when the calling of God came upon the life of Isaiah. And the calling of God that came upon him, it came in the form of a vision that God gave Isaiah. And in that vision, what happens is uh, uh, what Isaiah saw was that the hem of God's garment filled the whole temple. Like the little hem of his garment filled the temple. But what Isaiah heard all the hosts of heaven, the angels singing and all these creatures, what they were crying out to God in Isaiah 6 is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of the glory of God. The vision that God gave Isaiah in Isaiah 6 wasn't that the temple was filled with the glory of God. It wasn't that church space was filled with the glory of God. It was the whole earth is full of God's glory. And in verse 5, it's just declaring in verse 6 that God is saying, I take notice of where you've been and what you were under, and I just need you to know, here am I. Like, I am coming. And when God shows up, he is showing up to redeem and to rebuke darkness and to bring people into the light. And here it is in verse 7. Listen to this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The image of the runner, the image of beautiful feet in verse 7 is a breathless runner. All right, I'm not a runner. I don't like to run. Some of you don't either. I talked to some of you about running, and you're like, man, if you ever see me running, either I'm being chased by somebody, Right? Or some, I mean, you know, there's just the joke of if, you know, a bear starts chasing you and your friends, you don't have to outrun the bear. You just got to outrun all your friends, right? I don't really like to run. I like to, I like to be on the elliptical where I can have a TV show in front of me, a, a podcast I'm listening to on my phone, and a game I'm playing on my phone all at the same time. Uh, I, the only races I've ever really been a part of are like some 5Ks. It's raising money for certain events. And I run a 5K and I get halfway through and I'm like praying to God, like, please take care of Casey and the boys because I don't think I'm going to live. Um, when I run, which isn't much, or when I play basketball and my feet are, you know, you're cutting and you're running, there are times where my feet develop blisters. Um, for those of you who I've talked to who've, been in marathons and you've trained for those things, the descriptions of the things that happen to your feet. We don't want to show pictures of these today, right? Where toenails are falling off and blisters are developing. And the image 
of the runner in Isaiah 52, verse 7, of this, this person who's bringing good news. It's this breathless runner who has this good news that he's about to deliver and these feet that are pounding the pavement or the sand or the dirt, whatever it, this person's running with. And this person is running because this person understands that good news has to be shouted and good news has to move. It doesn't just stay stationary, wait for people to come and hear the good news. And the beautiful feet that we are invited to have, it's not beautiful feet that have some good news and we're just waiting on other people to come to us so we can tell them the good news. It's that the church has beautiful feet when the church is moving because we have good news. The reason 316 offering is so important to us isn't just because Zambia and Panama and Greece and Ukraine need us and our gifts and our resources and our time and our efforts. It's not just that. It's because we need them to teach us about the things of God, our global God, the mission of God. In verse 10 and in verse 12, it says this, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth. We'll see the salvation of our God. Listen to verse 12. Some of you need to take verse 12 into your prayer life this week. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So it's not just God who's leading you out. It's also the God who is behind you. He's in front and he is behind moving us into this movement. It's so important for us to realize that God refines people for the sake of his greater mission. God purifies for the purpose of his greater mission in the world. Salvation that Jesus brings into your life isn't an end of itself. It's not just that Jesus wants to save you. It's that Jesus wants to save you and then inject you with the Spirit to invite you into this mission and this purpose that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. Isaiah verse 49, verse 6, if you go back, I want you to see this verse. Because this is the verse in Luke 2. This is the verse Simeon quotes over Jesus when Jesus was born. And Isaiah 49, verse 6 says this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. What God says right there is it's way too easy for me just to raise up one nation. That's that's too easy. And it goes on, I will give you as light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is what Simeon quotes over Jesus in Luke 2. Because Simeon's declaring over Jesus that he's not here just to raise up a nation. He's here to bless the whole world. Um, I've, I've been on, uh, sometimes when I, I travel to speak, I'm on stages that may be like in a, a room that functions as a, a theater room, like a, a true auditorium. And there are like spotlights that are straight above and they come down. I was speaking at an event a few years ago. And it was this room of a thousand people. And what they told me is, hey, before you get up on stage, we just need you to know we only have two spotlights on the stage. The screen's in the middle. And one spotlight is on the far right of the stage, and the other spotlight is on the far left of the stage. So you either need to choose to stand in a stationary place on the left side or the right side. So this would be like me preaching a sermon today from like way over here. And it was so odd because people, their heads were turning and they, and they're, I, like necks I think were hurting because they're having to look sideways. And it was weird for me to be way over in a corner. There are times where, uh, you know what a spotlight is. A spotlight focuses on a space. 
And I think there are times where God comes like a spotlight, where God may point to, hey, that's a place of injustice, or there's a child who needs to be loved, or there's a place where the church needs to go. And there are times where God comes like a spotlight, but God's not only a spotlight. God's like headlights that doesn't want you to think that the light only shines in a spot, but that the light of God, when it breaks into the world, the light of God, it it shows you where you're supposed to go and what darkness the church is called to enter into because we have good news to take to those places. A few years ago, and I'm I'm just now writing uh, the book on this experience from a few years ago, when I went up to Barrow, Alaska, the northernmost town in the United States, uh, the very top, tip-top, point of Alaska. It was negative 65 windshield one day. I, it was so cold and it was dark. Every winter they go about 65 days without seeing the sun. And there was a story I shared with you a few years ago of a young girl. She was in seventh grade when I met her, but just a few years before that she was in a deep, dark depression. There was some family drama in her life and there were some other things that she was struggling with and she just went into like this shell where she didn't want to talk to anyone. she didn't want to talk to a therapist. She wouldn't answer questions from from her mom. She was just in this dark place. And one day in her room, she picked up a pencil and and she started to draw. And then the next day, she went back to that place where she began to draw again. And, And God began to use art to bring this girl out of her darkness. And she went on to write this book that uh, it uh, won awards throughout Alaska. It was, just, it was just four pictures. So She did this when she was in the fourth grade. And it was the first sunrise of the year. So January 23rd is like 65 days since late November when the people of Barrow uh, see the sun for the first time. So her story went, the sun was going to come up today, and we hadn't seen the sun since November. My class was in math when it started to rise. And the office started to play the song, Here Comes the Sun, on the intercom. And my math teacher took us to the class next door so we could watch it come up. And everyone started to get really excited because they were seeing the sun and their friends were there. And my friend Daphne lifted me up so I could see past all the tall kids. The sun was a brilliant shade of orange with a light blue sky behind it. And I was so happy to see the sun and I was sure that people would only be able to see the sun this amazing in Barrow. And I heard her story, and we ended up getting her on film for this, this video that we were just shooting some testimonies. And I remember I went home and I reflected that day. Uh, I wonder if God gave her that gift of drawing in order to bring her into the light. Or if God had given her that gift from birth, It just took her being in a dark place for that gift to come to life. And both could be so true because it's true to how God works. And there's someone in here today that needs God's invitation today to come to you, to move you from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hopefulness, from despair to something beautiful that God wants to do in your life. So shepherds and prayer leaders, if you will, go to your places today. We're going to sing a couple of songs before we go to communion. And we have some places and spaces for prayer today. If there's a form of darkness in your life, if there's something you want us to pray light over, we have people who are going to places to receive you. Up here to my right, if there's something you want to bring in front of the church, we invite you to come and to talk to Randy Frederick, who's right up here uh, in front of me.
Can we stand together? Let's sing a couple of songs. Let's celebrate what God is doing in our lives.